Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager at Buckland, and today we are sharing a special initiative that has recently been undertaken at Buckland in response to COVID-19 to assist our team members. Buckland has launched the Only at Buckland Mental Health and Wellness Lecture Series, which is taking place over the course of four weeks and features Jennifer Harkness, who is a psychotherapist and has a counseling and art therapy practice called Courageous Heart Healing. We have found these sessions with Jen to be incredibly insightful and useful, so we are sharing them with the hope that they are helpful for others as well. The third of our four sessions is called Productivity in a Time of Collective Trauma, and you will now hear the audio from a recent Zoom call that Jennifer held with our company on this topic. Over to Jennifer. Um, so today we are, we're going to talk about productivity in a time of collective trauma. Um, it's a topic that I think a lot of people um, are anxious about, right? Because a lot of folks are trying to work from home. A lot of kids are trying to do school from home. It's, it's really difficult. So we're going to cover today, um, you know, why it's difficult and maybe some strategies to help support that. Um, again, just want to reiterate, we are in this together, right? Everybody, that's one of the reasons that I, I go the neurobiological route. You know, in some, in some ways, we are all very, very similar as humans in our nervous systems. And then at the same time, we're extremely unique in what we need, right, in our, in our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts to um, feel uh, the capacity to be productive. So mental and physical health are actually a priority, um, to have the creativity um, to create things and, and get things done. Um, as we talked about before, you know, the first talk, we went over the basic neurobiology. The second top talk was um, relationships and mental health. Um, today, productivity and leadership. Um, Want to, again, reiterate realistic expectations. Nobody's going to be at their top game. Um, I know I had that after the last talk, um, some, some self-doubt and imposter syndrome coming up of, like, oh, that wasn't, like, the best talk I've ever given, and I had to use the skills, too. Of, like, you know, um, yeah, you're in a pandemic <laughs> and working really hard, and you're tired, and you're doing the best you can. So the rubric really is, did I show up the best I could that day? Yes, and surely you named that quite well. You know, some days I can show up, and I've, I've got some spoons, and, and I'm more articulate or more on my game, and some days not. And we have to just surf those waves and be very kind and compassionate to ourselves. Um, so do the best you can, ask for help when you need it, and just realize, again, we're, we're all going through a lot right now. Oxygen mask on you first. Um, surely, again, you, you named that at the beginning. Um, going to the foundations uh, and taking care of your relationships um, and then working your way outwards towards your to-do list and that sort of thing. So last time we talked um, about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And, and, you know, take care of your body first, safety and security, um, then belonging and love. And now today we're going to talk about esteem, agency, and your best self, which again, 
pretty challenging during a pandemic to reach that that purple triangle there at the top of the of the drawing. We are pack animals. We belonging is survival. Um, we talked about that a lot last time, and and I was talking about you know trauma and the first response you get from people, how that impacts your nervous system when when you feel stressed and somebody responds with "I see your stress and I'm here for you." Um, that is hugely impactful for ongoing, you know, um, issues in, in trauma and stress. Um, resiliency is another huge part of like how we cope with, uh, trauma. So resiliency has a lot of factors to it. It's studied widely, um, in psychology and, and trauma work. So again, physiological and, um, uh, physical and psychological safety, super, super important, right? So the basics of that Maslow's triangle, um, where you live, food, shelter, the basics, family bonding and having strong relationships, um, you know, that is a major factor of resiliency when you feel like you have tribe that has your back, right? Um, especially in the pandemic. I know that there are some people that feel very alone and they don't feel like they have a safety net. They don't feel like they have people to turn to. And that's creating a lot more stress than those of us that do have loved ones that, that we can talk to. Um, having belonging and purpose, um, super important in resiliency, some basic structure, consequences and incentives. And we're going to talk about this um, later on in the talk. You know, knowing who who you are, having a strong sense of identity and confidence. And confidence, you know, I, confidence isn't just about what you do well. Confidence is also having compassion for yourself when you're not doing well. So that's an important one to remember during this pandemic too. Like, it's great if I, you know, give a great talk and I can go, yay, Jen. But if I maybe am not quite on my game, can I still be okay with myself? That's, that's really important. So I encourage you all to look at that, um, your confidence level when you're not doing well. Um, having a sense of control and agency and knowing your rights and responsibilities. These are all factors of resiliency and the bigger umbrella of, you know, your, your person, who you are, your family, and your community. And this goes into the equity and equality piece and the privilege. Um, you know, if some, some people have less rights and responsibilities than others, right? Some people have less resources, um, and equity and equality are different. I think a lot of us ideally would like everybody to have equal opportunity. However, because of the structures in place, because of our own experiences, like let's say you have health issues or, you know, you're a person of color, you're a woman, things like that, right? The systems are set up to make it a little harder for you. So equity is really about sharing the spoons that we talked about last time, sharing your own resources collectively. Um, I did this little drawing of the dog and the cat, you know, if there's a fence, everybody needs to get over, right? If you're like a really little dog, you need a bigger box to have the same opportunity to get over that fence than maybe the cat does. So equity and equality are part of resi resiliency. And I think that that's something that's being highlighted in the pandemic right now is, is just resources and how they're shared uh, collectively. So you, you all did The Art of Possibility, and I haven't read the full book, but I did go over the slides and, and listen to um, the talk, the TED Talk, and I wanted to bring in some of that language today because it really mirrors a lot of what I've already been talking about and what I'd like to talk about today. So in the book of The Art of Possibility, he talks about the way things are, and this is really about the, the naming, right, the, the puppy, naming what's happening, radical acceptance of like, in this moment, I feel stressed, or in this moment... I'm in a pandemic and this is overwhelming. It's very simple, right? But very, very profound. 
Um, whenever we have resistance, like Shirley's example, I, I love it that you kind of set me up there, you know, when you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? That's like the autonomic response, right? And, um, and really it's a resistance to the experience. And it's, it's fundamentally the need is protection to protect yourself against this experience. Um, and so resistance isn't really a problem. It's just something to be worked with because when we can name it and say, I'm anxious and I need to slow down, I need to take some breaths, I need to take a walk, something like that and soothe my puppy, right? Then we can regulate and then maybe do something different. So, so the way things are radical acceptance, um, just naming it as it is, is the first step because we can't make change unless we do that. He talks about leading from any chair, and this is really about the modeling behavior. So every single person has value in their perspective and experience, right? Even, you know, I work with a lot of kids, too, and the kids in this are actually teaching me a lot, too. Um, You know, I had, uh, you know, different kids that are missing their teachers, and so they're making little projects to share with their teachers about how much they miss school and that sort of thing. They're showing a lot of resiliency, like resourcing in this, and they're modeling to me how to be creative and adapt in this process. So every single person has value in um, how they're showing up and and responding. And so, um, you know, everybody's equal in that in that way. You know, Shirley, you, you modeled authentic leadership at the beginning of this. Authentic leadership is really about having self-awareness, having relational transparency. So understanding, it's, it's really emotional intelligence, understanding your own feelings, understanding other people's feelings, being able to talk about that, name it, give permission. It's about balanced processing. It's about seeing different points of view, right? Being flexible and, and even, you know, looking at opinions that are maybe not yours, but looking at them and trying to have understanding for the needs behind it, the compassion, that sort of thing. Authentic leadership is also about having an internalized moral perspective. So knowing what your values are, like what your rubric of productivity has been and looking at how you can adapt during this time. Um, and it's about vulnerability and modeling because, again, it's giving everybody permission that, hey, you've got a puppy in there and your feelings are important. And they know they're important because that's actually going to help you regulate to, to be productive. In the Art of Possibility, he talks about giving everybody an A. And the way I look at that is it's really generosity of view. So, you know, there, we've talked about in, in some of the previous talks, there is a lot of political divisiveness, for instance, going on, a lot of different opinions going on, um, especially in the States. Um, you know, and so it's trying to give everybody a generous view that they, they too just want happiness and health, and they're trying to figure out ways to do that, looking for the needs behind it. And you don't have to agree, but trying to understand is, is important. So, you know, everybody's just doing the best that they can in this. Um, and giving A is giving encouragement right? Just encouraging people to um, be in their experience and be their best selves. Having that compassion and empathy is, is really important. Planning and uncertainty. So this, my new word for this week that I learned was allostatic load. And I'm going to share with you what that means. So allostatic load is essentially when your brain is going through trauma, going through stress chronically, you know, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, and your brain, really brains are designed to scan for danger, like we've talked about before, to keep you safe. And they make plans, right, to create that safety for survival. So when there's a lot of unknowns, the brain tends to perseverate, which is just like running through all the scenarios. The, I call them a case of the what if, right? It's an overloaded computer that's spinning up and it's hyper-focusing on 
well, what about the economy? And what about if I get COVID? What about this? What about that? You know, all the what ifs. And they, it, it really overloads the brain. So there's a constant stress in that that, that makes your computer not run um, at full tilt and it exhausts your body. So what I'm finding in the last couple of weeks is people are increasingly getting more exhausted, right? And we're going to talk more about that that load here in a moment um, and, and why we're so tired because simple things are becoming harder as we continue to go into this. And part of that is the allostatic load because we can't actually make plans. We don't even know when we're going to come off of stay at home at this point either. So what do you do with that? You know, if you can't really plan, you take it day by day. You take it hour by hour, moment by moment, and you keep naming pandemics are hard. You surely asked me Wednesday in the talk, you know, what's, what's the biggest thing you see? And, and I'm like, the biggest thing I see is so simple. It's that I'm having to name for people, help be an auxiliary brain and be a, a connective puppy, right? Um, and say, hey, pandemics are hard over and over because we easily forget and we want to have like a locus of control where it's like, you know, maybe it's me, you know, I'm not coping with this well or those sorts of things. But really underneath it is just like a lot of unknown, a lot of constant stress. So naming that and just taking it slow and doing the best you can day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. So Creativity and productivity is, is a lot about a window of tolerance. So a window of tolerance is basically like if you picture a window and the first thing that you, let's say the first time that you ride a bike, you've never done it before. So your window is very, like it's only like cracked open a little bit, right? And there's some anxiety that comes up with it. And part of anxiety is excitement, right? The flip side of that is like your body's preparing to do something and it's trying to get the, the go juice, you know, all that adrenaline stuff to, to do something new. And your brain is working really hard of like, okay, how do I get the pedals to go and the, the handles to go and how do I make this work? Now, the more that you do that, the more you practice it, right? The window opens up wider and wider and wider, right? To where at a certain point, your window of tolerance is quite wide and you can get on that bike and you can go. And not only can you go, but your, your brain starts to do a lot of like autonomic kind of imprinting muscle memory, that sort of thing, where it, it has the orders and operations just in the brain. You don't have to think about it anymore. And then you can do tricks on the bike. And you can like, you know, jump little curbs and things like that. You can, you can get fancy with the bike. So the window of tolerance is really important right now because it's our first pandemic, hopefully our only pandemic as well. But, you know, nobody's done this before. We don't really know. So the window is, is small and we're all very anxious because of that, right? Um, so keeping that in mind, um, as we're going further into the pandemic and creating new normals, um, you know, our nervous system is getting a little bit accustomed to that. But the brain is really, it's very plastic. We, every time we do something, like if I ride the bike, it creates more, more grooves, like a highway in my brain. So like when I first ride the bike, my neurons are like a little dirt road for that bike and it's kind of bumpy. But the more I do it, the repetition of it, right, then it becomes a paved highway, and pretty soon it becomes like a default work, just like super speed on, I know how to ride a bike, right? And that all takes time and repetition. Generally, it takes about 21 days to create a new habit. Um, there's a, you know, people will use the phrase 10,000 hours to master something. And there's not like a lot of concrete research behind that actual number. But what they are speaking to is that it takes a lot of time um, to build up the the habit to master something. So 
it's interesting because you can, you can learn. I was talking to a teacher friend last night and she's you know very seasoned teacher. I think she's been teaching like 20 years and she started the online teaching. And then she said, everything that I knew how to do before feels like it's out the window and I'm in my first year of teaching, even though I'm a seasoned teacher. And so that's, again, another part of that load on her brain because our brains are state dependent. So when she would go into the classroom before, the context of the classroom and everything she was doing, there's a lot of that autopilot, like the, the super highway of, you know, I know how to teach, right? But now that she's doing it on the computer, even though she knows how to teach, it's all, it's the context is new. So she's having a hard time accessing a lot of that information. And again, some of this is just flat out neurobiology, how your brain works. So she's exhausted at the end of every day, like she was the first year that she taught. And even though she knows how to talk to the students and the material, the context is making it hard to do it. So if you, if you just sit and reflect for a moment, as I'm saying this about your own life, you may be really great at your job, right? But doing it at home, doing it in a different context, a different setting really changes it and makes your brain work harder for things that it didn't have to work hard for before at all. So hopefully that's normalizing that a little bit for you, some of the fatigue. And why is it so hard to do something I've done a million times? And it's just the context has changed and you're trying to set down new grooves uh, to do it differently. So the window of tolerance, right, that's where we have creativity and curiosity and openness. And part of it is, you know, regulating the puppy, right? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about growth mindset because that's an important part, um, a important concept in psychology. So there's six mindset, which is basically like I'm born with certain traits and certain abilities, and that's kind of how how I roll. And growth mindset is very much in line with like what I was just talking about with neuroplasticity of I can actually create new grooves in my brain. I can learn how to do different things, right? We all have certain talents and propensities that we go toward. But, you know, uh, in the last couple of years, like I, I'm not the most mechanical person, but I've learned how to work on engines because I, I have a boat and I've been working on that. I created new grooves for that. And part of that is growth mindset of, you know, really when you have a challenge, instead of saying I can't, right, or shutting down, it's like, okay, what opportunities are here to grow with this? When obstacles come up, you see it as, again, an opportunity to engage it. Um, you know that getting good at things takes effort and repetition and practice, and that mistakes, mistakes are actually not a problem. Mistakes are, are actually opportunities to practice and get better. You can't get good at things unless you make a lot of mistakes. And growth mindset is really about when there's criticism, you know, looking at it as, as critique, right? And an opportunity to say, okay, well, you know, how can I do this differently next time? That's growth mindset. And looking at the success of others as, oh, instead of like the, the competition of like, oh, they're so much better than me. It's looking at like, what are they doing that like I, it, it's inspiring to me and I want to try to incorporate that. So it's kind of like giving that A again to people in the art of possibility. With all this, learning styles are super important. Um, so, you know, online learning for a lot of folks doesn't really work that well. I'm working with a lot of kids right now that are very much struggling with, with school. Um, and part of it is learning styles. So this cartoon, I kind of, I took it from um, an old cartoon that I, I ran in two years ago. It's a professor and he's, you know, got an elephant and a bird and a cat and a dog and a fish and a snake. And there's a tree and an apple at the top. And he's like, okay, whoever gets to the apple first gets an A, right? So, you know, like 
the fish is like, oh my God, I, the, how, I can't even get to the tree, right? That's like, that's not fair. The cat's like, well, I can probably get up there pretty quick. The bird's like, piece of cake, right? The elephant's figuring out how to get the trunk up. The dog's like, well, I'm just going to have to sit here. I can't even do anything. I'm going to hang out with the fish, right? Everybody's got a different relationship to that apple. Now, equity would be like, okay, you know, we're also going to have a test where everybody's going to swim. And the fish is like, yeah, I'm going to nail that one, right? You know, it's, it's about looking at different learning styles, visual, auditory, interpersonal, um, which is like, you know, basically, you know, it, um, getting along with others, emotional intelligence, interpersonal, which is self-reflection, knowing yourself really well, emotional intelligence there, movement, kinesthetic, being really logical, verbal and like nature-based learning. And so there's a lot of theories around learning styles, but I think during this pandemic, knowing what your natural learning styles are and trying to incorporate that into your daily life, it's going to actually help your puppy out and make you more productive, right? And that's why I think for a lot of people, the sitting on the computer all day, especially for kids, is is really challenging, right? Because that might be not be part of their, their learning style. So looking at that is important. Human brains, you know, we focus at about 20 minutes at a time. (laughs) So I think, you know, a lot of people try to sit and focus for hours at a time. Generally, you're not very productive when you do that. So doing, you know, chunking time is really important right now. You know, do 20, maybe 30 minutes, get up, take a walk, have a snack, stretch, breathe, listen to a song, whatever you need to do for your puppy, and then go back to it. That's going to actually be more productive right now than trying to just put, put your head down, like Shirley said, and push through. Multitasking also, there's a lot of research that multitasking really isn't, isn't that helpful, which for parents that are working at home, it's really almost impossible right now because they've got, you know, maybe their kids are doing school and the dog's barking and they're trying to work and they're trying to manage it all. That's, again, part of the load on your brain right now and and why it's so tiring. So, you know, trying to focus and chunk time with those realistic expectations, doing the best you can is going to be a good mantra right now. Um, Figuring out different workarounds, right, is, is helpful. So I call them like life hacks, basically. So our brains need some dopamine, you know, dopamine's like your neurohormones, like, yay, we reward happiness. Um, we need incentives, right, to, to function. We also need novelty, which is another problem in the pandemic is it's, uh, Jenny was saying, like, it just feels like Groundhog's Day. You know, the movie every day is like the same day, kind of, because we're at home kind of doing the same thing. So we need to, for our brains, infuse a little bit of novelty. And so, you know, one strategy with the, you know, focusing, chunking time, learning styles, is like, let's say you're more of a kinesthetic nature-based learner, right? So, and you've got some tasks to do. Maybe it's chunking the time of I'm going to do this to-do list, like a few things, and then I'm going to, you know, go outside and go for a little, a little run or a little walk, right? And then I'm going to come back in. Right? Even if it's simple, it doesn't have to be a long walk, but just like giving yourself some kind of reward or incentive that's not always cookies, right? Because we talked about the cookies last time. They're good, but do don't want to have only cookies as reward. But trying to figure out some incentives um, to do tasks is, is helpful right now. Um, I think as we look at this pandemic, you know, we are actively in the crisis right now. And it's really hard to you know, see, make meaning. We're going to talk about that in a minute and find purpose and all this when you're in the active crisis. Um, but one thing we can do right now is just get curious, 
right? And look at what are the silver linings of this pandemic? You know, what what is not working right now? We focus on naturally, you know, what we don't like about the pandemic. But what if we also pause and look at like what is actually working? Like for instance, I'm giving this talk with rainbow pants, you know, uh, pajama pants on right now. I feel like the elastic waistband is a win, right? You know, so like looking at what are the things that are, are helpful right now in the pandemic, maybe like no commute is a great thing. Um, more time with your family, opportunities to try new things. I've had some clients say like, you know, I, I haven't really sat down and watched a movie with my family in a long time. And we're watching a movie once a week together, right. In the pandemic. And that's felt really bonding things like that. Like what is actually working in this that maybe you want to reflect on as we start to create a new normal, uh, as we come out of stay at home. So again, you know, looking at what we can, what we can change, looking forward, looking at our priorities, right. I think my first talk, I mentioned that a lot of people, that I've seen in my practice for years, I've seen their priorities where they put work ahead of family. They put family ahead of themselves. And so looking at those priorities and kind of adjusting and saying what's healthy for me. Part of, part of trauma work is post-traumatic growth. So post-traumatic growth, we're not in it yet because we're in the crisis, but I'm planting some seeds as we're coming through some of this and, and getting back out into the world. Post-traumatic growth is when we, we find that we have a lot of personal strength through the trauma that we find through the trauma, we, we get new responsibilities. We have more empathy for others. We can relate to others. I know for those of us with mental health, you know, I think I said this in another talk, I've, I've had anxiety my whole life. It's, it's partly just part of my biology and how I run. And so I've, some people were like, oh my gosh, in the pandemic, all these what ifs, and I'm so anxious and I, I can't breathe and all, you know, I, what is this experience? They've never really had it before in this way. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I felt this way like my entire life pretty much every day in some way, right? And so it's like being able to really connect and relate with each other like, oh, okay, there's different experiences out there. Um, having a newfound appreciation of life, um, having the gratitude of, you know, Shirley was saying how it's a beautiful day where she's at and I'm looking outside with blue sky and buds on the trees and just having a lot of appreciation for that where maybe before in a busy day, I would just look it over and not even notice it. Um, and spiritual changes and spirituality does not have to be religion, right? But just those um, experiences where we feel interconnected with something bigger, a sense of awe, you know, that we can kind of zoom out and not be so uh, in our small world and our small selves. As we're moving through this and looking at our priorities, the research is extremely conclusive that experiences and connection bring people way more happiness than things do, than money does, right? So I really encourage us, you know, to reflect on what are our values and how do we want to feel in our lives? A lot of times we make decisions and productivity is like a to-do list, right? But what if we look at like, I like to feel peaceful, and then asking myself questions of like, what in my life brings me peace and what doesn't? How can I bring more peace into my life, right? Looking at how I want to feel or, you know, my values of connection. How can I create more connection in my life? Looking at those. There's some, there is some real opportunity in this pandemic to, to sit a little bit and to think differently. Um, in the Art of Possibility, he talks about, you know, giving way to passion. So, you know, allowing others to follow their bliss and, you know, looking at your own bliss. And I have a picture of my dog digging. He loves to dig and bury things. Um, you know, the best, the best management style, back to the authentic ma management, is finding people who 
you know, are passionate and good at their job and not like being authoritarian, right. And saying like, do this. Cause I said, but like allowing them space to, um, be their best self, right. Hey, you're, you're Jen, you're so good at cartoons, run with that, draw more cartoons, you know, um, giving, giving ourselves opportunities to, um, to step into our best selves, um, and others to do that too. And that, and that comes for our kids too, right. I think a lot of parents, especially my generation, Gen X, uh, boomers, we were raised more like authoritarian parenting styles right now, like encouraging each other in, um, in our bliss and our natural learning styles and stuff is going to be more helpful. You're going to actually get more productivity in doing that. Um, so again, in the art of possibility, he talks about lighting the spark and, you know, that's, that's like surely modeling at the beginning of this, right. You know, it gives me permission to talk about it. Hopefully it gives you all permission to think about it, talk about it. Um, so we can all, uh, go up that ladder of, of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. Um, he talks about be the board and the art of possibility. And I have, um, I, I do this little, little cartoon of my dog in space. Right. And really what I'm talking about is that bigger picture again. Right. Um, we don't, we don't always get to choose what happens to us, but we can choose how to respond to it. Right. We can't choose this pandemic, but we can choose how we're responding to it. If we're regulated and we're kind of growing that window of tolerance and we're trying to adapt and get creative and flexible in it and asking ourselves, who do I want to be? How do I want to be in this pandemic? Right. Um, again, that takes some of that regulation and putting the oxygen mask on you. Otherwise we will be more in, in the autopilot and looking at the bigger context, right? The bigger values that, that we hold in life is important. Your brain, interestingly enough, anytime you visualize something, your brain responds like it's actually happening. So if I'm visualizing, you know, the hospitals in New York City and, you know, people dying in pandemic, a part of my body is there with them. If I visualize, um, you know, being out on a boat on a sunny day, my brain responds like I'm there. So, you know, every single idea, every single thing that happens in the world starts with a daydream, you know, um, people have dreams and, and that's how they start to step into them. So allowing um, uncertainty to turn into possibility, maybe through this, we can start to dream a little bit of the world that we want to step into after the pandemic. That might be a, a silver lining that comes out of this as we move forward. Um, and I've been telling some of the kids, they're like, oh, I can't go play soccer. And I'm so bummed. And I was like, hey, do you know that you can actually practice soccer in your head? Right. You know, like the Seattle Seahawks uh, many years ago won the Super Bowl. And one of the things that they were doing was um, they were visualizing before each practice in each game and they were running the plays. And that's because that's literally their brains were practicing, just sitting there thinking about it. So I've got my little dog, you know, visualizing all the, the hiding of the bones. Coming through, you know, in post-traumatic growth, um, part of it is about meaning making and meaning making is really about, again, you know, naming it for what it is, experiencing reality authentically. We're in a pandemic. I cannot choose that. Um, but I can choose maybe to get back creatively. Um, we, I, I, I pull a lot of this from Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he was in Auschwitz, uh, the concentration camp during World War II. And he talked extensive, beautiful book. He talked ex extensively about this, of how he couldn't choose what was happening to him on a daily basis, but he could visualize in his mind having picnics, picnics with his wife. He could um, choose to be altruistic 
in the camp and supporting others. He could choose to create some routine and some structure, like they would sweep their floors every day, even though they were like dirt floors, but just to keep some structure and some sense of normalcy going. So again, it was it was how he was engaging that experience that counted. Um, sublimation is a process of taking, you know, lemons and turning it into lemonade, right? You know, so having something bad happen to you, like for instance, I'm a therapist because I, I have anxiety, right? I've had that my whole life and I understand it in a way that I create meaning out of that is by helping others in anxiety. So as we move through this, you know, we will hopefully start to make some meaning and find some purpose uh, within it. Altruism gives you a lot of oxytocin and yummy neurochemicals that make you feel good. So and it gives you a sense of control and agency. I have a lot of people that their response to the pandemic is actually like, you know, driving around and delivering food for folks that, that don't have resources, right? And that's an equity thing again, right? They're, they're realizing I have some resources that I can contribute to other people and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. So looking at, at ways to find agency that way and having altruism, if you have enough spoons and, and capacity to do that. Um, he talks in the book, the art of possibility that it's all invented, right? And this goes back to the meaning making the perspective, um, looking for the possibility and the uncertainty, getting curious about that. Our brains have that negativity bias. So we will go back to habitual thought right? And, and our bias, right? And shutting things down. Maybe this is an opportunity to look at that and, and engage things differently to slow down and to pause in all of this and feel our experiences that ultimately is going to help us come through this with less, um, you know, psychological uh, stress and distress. So he talks about stepping into the universe of possibility, which again is having gratitude and an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity mindset. I know the economy, the global global economy is a big topic right now and people are very scared and there's a lot of unknown. And, you know, one way to cope with that is to pause and say, hey, you know, there actually is enough to go around for everybody. Maybe maybe we can figure out ways to do that as a community, right? Um, even in my small circles, you know, pooling together resources to help each other out. Um, is something that's starting to happen that's, that's really lovely and connecting. So looking at that abundance and connection uh, can be a, a big tool for us, which is telling the we story, right? You know, um, really, if you look at all these talks, it's all about interconnectedness. You know, I know that in Western cultures, we tend to be like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do a bunch of stuff and, you know, be self-made and that sort of thing. And, and, um, you know, none of us are exactly self-made. We we all rely on other people. We all rely on our mothers in ways, you know, to to help us and nurture us to grow. We've relied on teachers and mentors and friends and, you know, books, all kinds of things that we have relied on to um, to get us to where we're at. And we need to come together to to pull through this pandemic in that way too. So these talks, I've been trying to give a lot of the basic ingredients of being human, right? So you all can get creative and look at your own styles and your own needs. And, you know, instead of just feeding regular snacks and saying, do this and do that, um, giving you the ingredients so you can make your own snacks because you can, you know, teach a person to fish or you can feed them fish. And hopefully through some of these talks, um, you're learning how to fish, how to resource for your own nervous system moving in because this is a marathon and it's going to be going on for a while. And, um, 
the next talk, oh, this is my, this is my actual dog, Appa, that I put in the last slide for you all so you know where the inspiration for the cartoons came from. Um, in the last talk, I'm going to talk um, a little bit more about crisis response. I've been pulling some data around um, mental health and crisis response. And right now, again, we're in the crisis. And, you know, six months, a year from now is when we'll start to really um, start to make the meaning and purpose and some of those seeds I planted towards the end of this talk and um, figure out how to do whatever the new normal is um, as we come out of our homes and that sort of thing. So be gentle with yourselves out there. And um, it's been a, a pleasure uh, sharing this information with you so far. So we'll, I'll turn it over to you guys. And that concludes the third of four sessions from the Only at Buckland Mental Health and Wellness Lecture Series on the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Keep listening to future episodes for the fourth and final session. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me, Jenny Kaus, at marketing at buckland.com or check the show notes for other resources. If you're looking for additional resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here, you'll find a range of resources, including learning guides, webinars, and podcasts. Our downloadable learning guides include IncoTerms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and many more. We also have a whole host of on-demand webinars available on our website, available for instant download. So check those out to access free and informative presentations today. The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources that I've mentioned is through our weekly newsletter. We send out a newsletter every single Wednesday containing our latest resources, as well as a roundup of the latest trade news delivered right to your inbox. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page, through Twitter, where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, or on our LinkedIn company page, or on Buckland at Buckland Insta for our handle. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.